Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked the young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast on this Tuesday night. How is everyone doing tonight? I hope you're doing extremely well. And once again, yes, the sick podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, by Labit at TB, and by Playground. We got a good one lined up because. Eric Engels is at the Board of Governors meeting in Seattle. We're going to get to him in just a minute. But before we do, I want to bring up some pictures from earlier today. And these were courtesy of colleagues Stu Cowan and Anthony Marcino. Stu Cowan, of course, of the Montreal Gazette and HockeyInsideOut.com and Anthony Marcino of TV Aspar. They had a chance to put this up on their Twitter handle. The Montreal Canadiens players went to visit um, some of the kids today at the Montreal Children's Hospital and at St. Justin's. And there you have it. There you see them. God bless them. All those kids, um, you know, what um, what a visit can do to put a smile on people's faces and to make them forget about their worries and, um, you know, a word of encouragement, give them some hope. And it was beautiful to see. And it's, uh, it's very, very touching. I would imagine that Eric Engels at one point um, has dropped by the hospitals when the Montreal Canadiens give, um, you know, give back and 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 they go see the kids and they spend time with the families. I know I've had a chance to do it before in the past. It's a very, very special moment that unless you're there, it's hard to describe. Without further ado, I bring him in from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Eric Engels, how are you? Buddy? What's up, Tony? Uh, you're in Seattle. It's all good for me. I hope you're doing well. I was just talking about the annual visit to the Children's Hospital and to St. Justin's. I would imagine you've had a chance to go on a couple of those, Eric. You know what? I haven't been able to before. Really? Eh? But, um, and, and you don't, as a reporter, don't get great access within those moments. You can't. It's not really interviews, but as you could see, obviously, you witness the joy that they bring to, you know, people that that certainly are in need of it, uh, yeah. suffering through whatever they're suffering through if they're in the hospital. Um, you know, I think it's a wonderful tradition. And yeah. um, I did hear what Marty St. Louis said about it today, uh, calling it, I think, I don't think he quite used the word obligation, um, but, but you know, um, certainly feeling like one to give back to a community that gives so much to them. 
And, yeah. Um, I think I think obligation is too strong of a word because I think they do it quite willingly and, and happily. Um, and I think it's a wonderful tradition that should definitely continue. Eric, well said. For those watching, we will get to you at the Board of Governors meetings and everything that's taking place, everything that was on the agenda yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But we're going to start with Montreal Canadiens, and then we're going to go to that, of course. Uh, yesterday, we saw Slavkovsky with uh, Suzuki and Caulfield, and a lot of people have been wanting to see that for a while. As a matter of fact, they were probably wanting to see that the second that he was drafted a couple of years ago with the first pick overall. And uh, if that was an audition, it was a successful one for your eye. Well, it wasn't the first one. I mean, he did play with them earlier this season, yes. albeit for a bit of a short stint. Um, and we'll see how long this one lasts. But I suspect if your eye plays as well as everybody said he did, because I didn't get a chance to watch it as closely as some people did as I was working at the Board of Governors meeting here in Seattle. Um, I did see parts of the game, and he looked great, for sure, and the ones that I did, um, and great for him. You know, the one thing I like about him being there right now um, is I am in the camp of people that would have liked to have seen it tried a bit sooner and even sooner than it was earlier this season. Yeah, me too. But I think a big part of the reason why he looked the way he did yesterday in that situation, uh, at least according to a lot of people, which seems to suggest that he played fantastic and Marty St. Louis didn't play, said he didn't play a single bad shift. Um, I think the process that they've been undergoing with Slavkovsky has brought him to a place where he can handle that. And um, I have to give them credit for that because it's very easy to be impatient with that process when you have a player who's picked first overall and in a market like Montreal. And I think we've seen that across the fan base and within pockets of the media. And, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. I, I'd like to see the kid explode and see what he's really made of and, and given the best opportunity to do so with the team's best players. The thing that I like in this situation is if he really – quote-unquote, played his best game next to Caulfield and Suzuki, I think it's because there was a lot of preparation that went into it that that he would end up in that moment and it wouldn't be too big for him. It's funny the way things work out sometimes, right? Um, Uri Slavkowski played more games in the National Hockey League a year ago than Shane Wright did, but of course everyone recalls when the Canadians played the Seattle Kraken last year and Shane Wright scored and Uri Slavkowski did not. And so... It gave um, a lot of people an opportunity to say, oh, no, I think we have a problem here because look at Wright, he scored. One year later, and uh, you know what? I don't want Shane Wright to be in the American Hockey League forever, but he is not in the National Hockey League. And Uri Slavkovsky is, and Slavkovsky probably has his best game in the National Hockey League, even though he was pointless, probably had his best game in the National Hockey League versus a Seattle Kraken team without Shane Wright. It's... But, you know, that's what being a young hockey player is. And you could be in the, in the show one year and scoring, and you might not be the next. Yeah, listen, it's nothing more than ironic as far as I'm concerned. And whenever this conversation is going to be had, and I'm sure it's going to be had multiple times, it's more appropriate to be talking about it four or five years from now, potentially yeah. 15 years from now, depending on what both players are able to do. Um, I don't think we're talking about the strongest draft class of all time, regardless of who was chosen where in it. Uh, whether you're from the Canadians or the Kraken or any other team that participated in it, you know, I, I don't think it's going to go down as the best draft of all time here. But you're looking at two players who are likely to have long NHL careers, and it'll be interesting to see where they land versus each other. One thing 
that's becoming clearer as we've moved along and specifically since we got past the first couple weeks of the season where it looked like things were a little harder for Slavkovsky than they than people thought it would be during a training camp that was relatively positive. This kid is coming along and turning into a player. And, you know, I think at his size, and I've said this before on your podcast, the hardest thing to do is grow into your body and and effectively use it the way you would want to as a finished product. And I yeah. still think that process is going to take time, whether he plays in the NHL or the AHL, where a lot of people wanted to see him at certain points over the last year and a half. But I think it's undebatable right now that this kid is turning into a player and showing every bit the promise that Canadians fans, uh, or I should say Canadians management, saw in him when they chose him first overall. The production, you hope, will follow the progress that you're seeing within his process. And I'm not as pessimistic about that as some people are, but I do see a player who's going to be a, a pretty good one at this level and i i don't i don't think i'd be stretching it this is my own personal belief i think he's definitely going to be a top six forward i was saying similar stuff about yasperi kakaniemi when he was here and people doubted that yeah Um, i think he's having a pretty good year in carolina and it took from 2018 until now to see that so people better be patient not that they're going to be yeah, well, when you talk about five years down the road, I mean, we got a glimpse of what he can do already yesterday. And if you start thinking about it, in another three years from now, imagine his body and, and the muscle that he's going to put on and the way he's going to be able to grow into his body, the the, the amount of NHL games that will be under his belt, the experience, of course, uh, more composure. It's going to be something. It's really I, encouraging. I, 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 it's most, most comfortable I've seen him. I, I don't know about you. I, I've seen a major adjustment in terms of the way he's using his body on the yeah. way. Some yeah. of the things he's worked on and the way he's winning battles and staying on his feet more often. And I don't know. Like, I don't know how objectively the fans look at it other than – and I think a lot of them do, but I think there's a lot of them also that just look at the point totals and just say, well, it's never going to be there. and It's not there now. And it's – that there's just, just a dangerous way to evaluate things. Yeah. I, and I don't – you could put it all on one game and what you saw there in terms of meeting out the potential of a player. I think for two weeks that 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 Slavkovsky was on a line with Caulfield and Dvorak, mm-hmm. he was showing a lot of things that would lead one to believe that he was prepared for exactly what happened last night. So I think it's like kind of been a steady progression in terms of what he's showing. And now the next phase will be, you know, as Marty has talked about several times, okay, we want him to get his touches, we want him to get his touches. Now you want to see him start defining and developing what he does with those touches because he has the – the skills are there. The skills are there. Whether he employs them exactly the way he should in any given situation is something that requires development for him. And But, you know, the big concern in the AHL, NHL debate all the time, the puck is on his stick. It's, it's on a stick yeah. a lot, a lot more than it was a year ago. And just the progress from then to now should be something that fans kind of wrap their hands around and say, okay, there's there's upside here. Yeah, so we'll, look, we'll move on from Slavkowski. There's a lot of things to get to, but I will say this in ending. Uh, I talked about him being extremely comfortable last night. It's, it's, it's the one game where I saw him like almost accomplish the most. So I saw him uh, very aggressive on the four check. I saw him... Uh, recovering pucks. I saw him 
protecting pucks. I saw him throwing his weight around. Grant McCagg showed earlier today on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter, um, a hit that Slavkovsky delivered that for whatever reason didn't make its way into the statistics. It was definitely a hit. And it was a pretty big one at that as well. There was one play there were in the offensive zone. I believe it was, it was on the power play, I believe, if memory serves me well. But they're in the offensive zone. He's got to skate on the puck. He's, he's kind of protecting the puck. He's trying to, able, trying to make it slow down. And he gets, uh, he, you know, he gets surrounded by two opposing players. And he looks up, he sees Suzuki, and he kicks the puck right on his skate. And then, of course, there's that highlight that's that's been... Uh, out there since uh, early this morning that also Grant McCagg put out there, which is Slavkowski coming back, uh, delivering a hit. The Canadians recover the puck, and then he goes about 180 feet the other way, splits the defense, gets hauled down. The other team's called for a penalty, and the Canadians end up going on the power play, and Sean Monaghan ends up scoring his second goal of the game. Um, which turned out to be the eventual game winner, which was uh, which was pretty cool. So, so it was a big game by him. I want to get to Monahan. Monahan started the year really strong. He it's, he was putting up points almost in, in in most of the games. At one point, he led the Canadians in terms of Canadians players in terms of most games with at least a point. And it started a conversation with a lot of people saying, you can't let this guy get away. No, no, no. This guy's cured. He's healthy now. He's really good. He had 17 points in 25 games a year ago. Um, they, they, they absolutely need this guy. He's arguably the most complete player on the team, yada, yada, yada. Do you think internally it ever got to that point where they said, hey, uh, the plan was probably to trade this guy before the deadline, but are we keeping him now or what? Do you think it ever got to that point? Uh, listen, any, any player that you have, if you're properly managing your assets, you're weighing his value on the market to his value to your team. And you're certainly not completely eliminating one or the other. Uh, if those things end up being similar to each other, um, Sean Monahan's value to the Canadians is unquestionable. In terms of what he brings off the ice, in terms of veteran presence, uh, in terms of what he brings on the ice with 15 points in 25 games, and relative, relatively very good hockey for 75% of the games he's played with the Canadians this season. There's about an eight-game dip in there. Um, part of it was on him. Part of it was his line mates at the time. You know, part of it is the fact that he was averaging 20 minutes a game through the first 13, 14 games of the season and handling a lot of different responsibilities coming off groin surgery and just a 25-game performance. He plays one more game, gets a $15,000 bonus, um, which I think is hilarious. Uh, as far as what comes to the Canadians in the decision-making process over the next little while, in that evaluation of whether or not he's more valuable to the Canadians than he is on the market, I'm pretty sure the market's going to win. Um, you know, here's a player who came to the Canadians along with a first round pick. I think they would have redeemed another one if they had traded him last year. The big concern with him coming back this year was, was he going to be able to replicate what he did for Montreal last year? I think he's done that and maybe even some more in terms of the completeness of his game and what he's been able to offer. And if last night is the start of another sequence where he starts to produce at the same clip, you could be looking at more in a return for a trade uh, of Sean Monaghan. And I, 
I don't think the Canadians will hesitate to pull the trigger on that. Now, all that said, there's two considerations, short-term and long-term. Short-term is much less important, but I won't deny the fact that they're two points out of a playoff spot right now, which is somewhat ridiculous considering how many regulation wins they have and what their competition is within their own division, let alone the conference. Um, but I don't think that'll get in the way of the Canadians pulling the trigger on a deal that brings up maximum value back to Montreal. Long-term consideration, if you're a fan out there saying, man, you know, you have Suzuki, you have Doc, he'd be the perfect third-line center for the team. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget Owen Beck is coming. And, and don't mm-hmm. forget that the Canadians do have some players within their structure uh, by which they can be paying on entry level for yeah. a guy to fill that role and fill of it quite well moving forward. And it's less of a risk, uh, especially waiting against the opportunity cost of holding on to that player and not getting the type of return that they potentially can in trading him. So if you're asking me if he's going to get traded, I, I would I would be much more comfortable betting on that than betting yeah. on the reality of him signing a, a contract with Montreal before that happens. Yeah, and... If trade deadline is tomorrow and the Canadians are two points out of a playoff spot. I don't think it changes anything. No, I don't think it changes anything either. And if you if you listen to Jeff Gordon and you listen to Kent Hughes and you even listen to Jeff Molson, who spoke earlier today, they have a plan and they're just going to stick with that plan. And, it, you know, and so and that's why I think that, yeah, they would trade him, even if they would just be a couple of points out of a playoff spot. Maybe. Already. Like, maybe it would be different if Christian Dvorak wasn't a player that they're kind of stuck with, at, at least through this year. Like, maybe they'd have a maybe that value that we're talking about yeah. would increase significantly uh, in terms of his value to the Canadians versus on the market. Yeah. But right now, if Sean continues to do what he's done so far this season, I, I think a first round pick would be the minimum return that they get for him. So. That's something and, to watch, and, and and it's something to watch sooner than later, I think, too. Considering and for those, for those who may have forgotten, right when they acquired him, they already got a first round pick in yeah. the deal with him, yeah. and uh, I would imagine that when they did acquire him, the goal was to end up getting another first round pick when they traded him, and I guess they're on their way. We'll see. He's going to have to stay healthy, of course, which has been a challenge over the past couple of years. If I would have told you in preseason, Eric, twenty twenty five games in. Jake Evans is going to be playing on the second line. You would have said what exactly? Mm, I'd have a hard time believing it, but if you had told me that Kirby Doc was going down for the rest of the season in game two, I would have said we're going to see some wacky combinations between now and the end of the year. I will say this about Jake Evans. Don't forget Alex Newick's injury as well. Jake Evans is like the least appreciated player uh, on the Canadians versus what he actually does for them. I think he's a good player. I think he's an NHL player, and I think he's a, a guy that does not get the credit that he deserves because his numbers will never blow you away. Um, I think a lot of people have a hard time admitting when when he's playing really good hockey because it's rarely accompanied by the offensive production that they that they equate really good hockey to mean. Yeah. Um, but I think he's a useful player, and I think he does a lot of little things on the ice that are valuable and contribute to where the Canadians find themselves with more wins than I think any of us would have anticipated if you had made a prediction prior to the – if you had told me prior to the beginning of the season that yeah. 25 games in, they'd be two points out of a playoff spot. Yeah. Um, knowing that Doc would go down, 
I, I, I'd, have, I'd have been more surprised about that than seeing Jake Evans take, take a few reps in, in one yeah. game as, as a second-line center. I have to admit there's a stat that I came across today that was out there on social media. When I saw it, I had to, well, really? Yeah? Jake Evans, plus eight? Well, I didn't expect that. That's a very quiet plus eight by him, but it just goes to show that he is a good player like you talked about. The, the underlying numbers too, Tony. Like yeah. If you look at the way he's driven his line, no matter who has played on his line, you know, Marty always says he needs his fourth line to do more than just keep the puck out of its own net. Yeah. You look at uh, expected goals, uh, shot attempts, control of five-on-five five shot attempts, those metrics that we have placed more importance on than just the typical ones we always had when you and I were growing up. Yeah. He's having a good season. Yeah, but things can change really so fast in the National Hockey League, right? Yeah, 25 games. Like, you can go from having a bad season to a good season, from being hot to being cold. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, the quarter mark of the Canadian season, which was after game 21. Um, was it positive or negative? Or was it the same? Um, you know, was there was there, was there there progress that was made over a year ago where the Canadians actually had I think I told you at one point, I said, Eric, they got three points less than they did a year ago. I think they, they stink right now, right? But fast forward a couple of games, and this team, without Kirby Doc since game one and a quarter into the season, without Alex Newhook now, without David Savard, it's been more than a month, without Raphael Arvey Pinard, um, Mike Matheson um, battling, you know, not 100% from time to time. Uh, Caden Gooley was out for a couple of games. Uh, some inconsistent goaltending at times from Jake Allen. Um, Primo there, a three-goalie system. And there's so many other things I can Jack, bring up. Jack I and Harris. Jack I and Harris. Um, Cole Caulfield going extremely cold uh, for about 11 or 12 games where I think during that period I think he had a goal. And, and the Canadians are within a couple of points of a playoff spot. So now we ask that question today. Has there been progress? The answer is yes, without a doubt. Listen, progress was always going to be measured in terms of are they progressing as a team in terms of the culture, um, the style of play, uh, the concepts that Marty introduced a year ago and how far advanced they are. It's up and down in those aspects and also on an individual aspect. Some guys – have not performed to the level that you would hope they would. Some guys have exceeded expectations, like Kent Hughes mentioned, Justin Barron specifically, who started on the sidelines and is emerging as a guy out of all those guys outside of Caden Gooley, who could potentially be a top four defenseman down the line. I'm not saying he's there. I think there's still you know, a good amount of work that will have to go into that for him to prove he can be. Yeah. But, man, there's a lot of good – uh, that we've seen from Justin Barron this year, and he's not the only one. You know, and Slavkovsky is not I like measuring the points, and there's kind of been two segments of the season for him. Yeah, but what we've seen over the last ten games with Yuri Slavkovsky is is significant progress from where yeah. he was at. And I, I just think there's a few of those examples. There's a few examples of players where you you, you expect more and should expect more. Josh Anderson is a guy you would circle. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, back on the positive side of the ledger, you have Brendan Gallagher, who I, I saw a lot of tweets about Slavkoski playing a fantastic game. I saw a lot of them about Gallagher playing a fantastic game. And you know what? It's certainly not the first one this season. He's, no. he's played, he's played, we go through train back to training camp where people thought he that was it for Brendan Gallagher. It was laborious. It looked laborious. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's 
he's been pretty good since the beginning of the season. So. Yes. You brought yeah, up Justin I mean, Barron. I mean, tied yeah. with Michael Matheson for five goals among Canadians defensemen uh, at the top. Um, stat came out yesterday. Canadians defensemen have accounted for 20 goals for, which is first in the National Hockey League, tied with the Colorado Avalanche. And Lord knows that they have a couple of defensemen who are pretty, uh, pretty good offensive defensemen indeed. It's interesting. It really is. I like Barron because you would have asked me a year ago, out of all the young defensemen, if one of them – if someone has to be expendable, who would it be? I probably would have said Barron. And one year later, I'm not so sure I'm giving you that answer because his offensive instincts are really good. And some of those defensive deficiencies that I thought he may have had a year ago, well, uh, you know, he's not as defensively deficient as he was a year ago. Barron's getting better. So, hey. Um, I brought up Jack Guy, too, and I understand yeah. right now it's a pretty hot-button issue in Montreal. Yes. And, Tell me and, I, and I get it. Um, and I'll tell you that when I first saw the news that he was going down, I thought yeah. it was a quote-unquote conditioning stint um, without having to technically be one because he doesn't need waivers to go yeah. down. He wouldn't need to agree to a conditioning stint, and he's coming off a shoulder injury, and Laval yeah. is in Laval with a few mm -hmm. games to play and a perfect opportunity to activate him, get him some action, make him feel comfortable, get him back. If you'd asked me, to look at all the players who might potentially go through a bit of that sophomore struggle, it would have been easy for me to circle Jack guy at the beginning of the year, just because here's a guy who has fought for every single thing, not, not just figuratively, but literally mm -hmm. everything he has been given at this level. Um, and a guy who would never take that for granted. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's the, the danger of sophomore I don't even want to call it a slump. I think it's just a natural kind of struggle for a young player Yeah, that they finally feel they've arrived. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even like to call it. It's, it's so um, cliche to say, Oh, okay. They took the, their foot off the gas or whatever it is, but there is a mental challenge of finding the same level of desperation to play for your job on a daily basis and mm -hmm. feel as though it's it's suddenly secure. And and I can understand. I think the reason why Jack I might have been the most susceptible of all the young players in Montreal to that. Yeah. Because there isn't another defenseman on this blue line that fills the profile that he does. So there would be a bit more reason for him to feel a little more secure than maybe he should be as a second year player in the league that was undrafted and is only twenty is he twenty two yet? I I'll, I'm gonna say this about Jack I. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a very good player, and what's happening right now where he goes down to the American Hockey League and is expected to work on his game a bit and prove mm -hmm. that he absolutely does not belong there and absolutely belongs up in Montreal is not going to be a bad thing for him. Um, and I think I, I don't, we haven't had a chance to talk about it before, whether it's Slavkovsky or anybody else. I think there's value in anybody having that experience in the AHL, no matter how short it might be. I'm sure Jack Guy is hoping it's as short as possible. Yeah. But I no longer believe that it's a figurative conditioning stand. It is a, an opportunity for him to show that, hey, you know, let's let's get the game exactly where it needs to be yeah. for me to come back and be as effective as I can be in the NHL. And from my understanding, he took it well. I don't think any player wants to hear that news. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing either. All right, so uh, he told members of the media earlier today, I saw a tweet from Anthony Marcotte of BPM Sports saying that Jack I was told, hey, go down and work on your defensive game. So they've seen a few 
issues with his defensive game that they believe needs some polishing, and he's doing it at the American Hockey League level, which is interesting in a way because, you know, they're really high on the development they have with the first team. But in this case, he's going down. Now, we also know it coincides with the fact that Jaden Struble has played really good hockey, and sending uh-huh. Jaden Struble down right now, uh, that probably wouldn't be justified either. Now, I have a couple of things I want to run by you here. One is a take by Jean-Charles Lajoie, and another one is a take by George Larac. Jean-Charles Lajoie says, with all the depth that they have on defense, and you absolutely need Jack Guy in the lineup, Jack Guy is a winger at some point. Opposed to it? Yes or no and why? We've seen it done before, Eric. (laughs) I I think that's uh, laughable. Um, Why? We've seen it done before. Yeah, I know. But Jack Guy is going to be a nasty, bruising defenseman who actually, I think, out of of the guys that are here, and we mentioned Justin Barron, has a significant potential to become a top-four guy if he develops properly because of the dimensions that he brings physically on the blue line. If he finds the right timing to employ that, along with a game, as Martin St. Louis has suggested, from the offensive blue line in that's very strong already, you're going to see a combination that not many players in the NHL have. And I'll tell you right now, um, there's a lot of teams that love that player and that would really like to have a player like that within their system and feel that he's found money for the Canadians as an undrafted guy who got signed and walked on as as a training camp invite. Um I don't have any concerns about what kind of defenseman Arbor Jacki is going to develop into, but I can promise you that the idea of bringing him down to the American Hockey League won't be to develop him into a left winger. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a very effective defenseman in this league if he takes the opportunity that's in front of him to develop an aspect of his game that does need to be developed and that he would have acknowledged from the beginning needs to be developed. He's He's come a long way since where he started in terms of his stick positioning, um, and his positioning on the ice, defending the Russian, things like that, he has a long way to come, which is only normal for a player his age. So over the next couple of years, uh, Mike Matheson, Jaden Struble, Arbor Jacki, Jordan Harris, Lane Hudson, just to name a few, mm-hmm. in your opinion, Arbor Jacki not only is going to be one of the top six, you can see him on a second pairing. Listen, if it's not here, it'll be somewhere else. I hear you. I I, I don't know. I, I don't have a crystal ball. I yeah. know what the potential of the player is. Whether or not the player meets that potential is fully within his own hands and the opportunity that's in front of him, whether it's in the AHL or the NHL in a, in a, in a short period. I think the potential is absolutely there for him to do that. But I think you're looking at a group of defensemen right now who all have to prove the same thing because I think we see – that the floor is absolutely established, right? If you talk about Harris, Barron, Jacki, uh, and Kovacevic, we're looking yeah. at four guys who have absolutely established the floor as a third-pairing defenseman. There's, there's no question they can yeah. be good third-pairing defensemen in this league, bordering on great third-pairing yeah. defensemen in this league. Yeah, All of them have the same challenge to prove they could be something more than that something like what Caden Gooley has already shown. And I think Caden Gooley's floor has shown that he's a good top four defenseman at this point and could essentially become a number one with what he has in front of him. And I think anybody who 
denies that ability for Jack Eye yeah. is either underestimating how much he's already shown in such a short period of time coming from such an unlikely place or doesn't have quite as much of an understanding of how much uh, how much motivation there is within that player because the ability is there. And and it's really easy to underestimate what he can do offensively because yeah. he, he, he's good in the offensive zone. So my buddy George Larac was a regular collaborator here, of course, in the Sick Podcast as well. He's really um, disappointed that Jack Guy has been sent down to Laval. He believes that things started to change after Jack Guy took a couple of penalties, of which Marty St. Louis wasn't happy about one, and actually talked about it and called called it out um, after a game. And uh, he believes that the Canadians are uh, – that was the wrong thing for a guy who gives so much to the team and defends his teammates. I'm not so sure if he said – I don't want to put words in um, – I, I don't want to par- – I think he said something to the effect of uh, um, Marty should have kind of just let it go for what Arbor does, and now Arbor – probably feels like they're trying to temper his game or change his game a little bit and they probably shouldn't do that so he's a little bit upset about it okay well i can understand how george would empathize with a guy who drops the gloves and and pays the price for his teammates um i also know that george did some personal work with arbor at one point or another um you know in terms of fighting techniques and all that stuff he likes them <laughs> Dude, who doesn't yeah like, obviously anybody who knows arbor jack guy is gonna like them um, yeah, Marty, you know, I, I can't speak to who George spoke to. I, I don't know if the player is speaking to him or if he's hearing it from somewhere else. I also saw a clip where George was saying he thinks that it's likely that he won't even finish the year here in terms of being traded. Mm-hmm. I'd be really surprised with that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're trying to change the nature of Arbor Jack guy, the player. I, I, I don't agree with that at all. Okay. I think, I think they're trying to improve Arbor Jack guy, the player, and that's the process they're entrenched with, with all their players. Um, and, and one of the ways they're going to improve him is a ensuring that he has a level head in terms of discipline and not taking penalties that don't quote unquote, take care of the team. Like Marty likes to see from all his players and B, um, you know, the, the elements that Jack Eye brings to the table, his physical nature and his intimidating presence and his ability to be so hard to play against, they wanna they wanna tap into that even more by making them harder to play against defensively. And and that's really what this is about. And this is about yeah. just be, being a good pro and getting with the program and, and following forward and, and being the type of player they think he can be. But like everyone's gotta remember. He is 22 years old. He turns 23 in January. Yeah. And this guy has has a bright future in front of him, especially based on the sample we've seen so far, which is pretty small. And I don't know what it is in Montreal. I think we've started – I want to say something about the whole defensive picture in Montreal because I've heard people say – what every time I do a mailbag, people are asking me when they're going to trade Mike Matheson. And everybody's looking at Lane Hudson and the future of the Canadians' blue line and making their pairings with all guys who will be between the age of 22 and 26 years old. Doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And also, no. like, the expectation that everyone will come into the league and be Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr 
just because they've made it in the league at an age that's between 19 and 22 years old. Like, guys, outside of goaltending, this is the position where it takes the longest to develop into a complete product. And the value of the experience these guys have had so far, and if you're out there thinking Lane Hudson is going to come to the NHL and immediately dominate, like it's going to take time for Lane to establish his floor where he can be trusted to the point where he can show all the incredible things yeah. he does in college, which he won't be able to get away with in the NHL for some of them. I don't, I don't have all the examples in front of me, by the way, but I think I can say this with, I think, some certainty. Um, most teams that win the Stanley Cup have two defensemen in the top four that are 30-plus years of age. Yeah. Right? Like, what's the, what is the rush to get Mike Matheson out of town to make room for anybody there. I mean, if anything, you're hoping that Mike Matheson continues to be what he's shown so far in Montreal, yeah. which is uh, up there with, you know, from a production standpoint, something pretty special in terms of where they're at historically. Yeah. And his skating is his best asset, and it doesn't diminish considerably by the time his contract expires when he's 32 or 33 years old. And he ends up being the support to a young defense that has matured into one that could can help the Canadians contend. Because if you're pointing at one thing yeah. that is the brightest spot of their future, it's what they've built on mm-hmm. the line, right? You're going to need some shepherds in there. It, it yeah. can't be the sheep. So, All right. Last Canadians topic in ending. Samuel Montembeau has once again reestablished himself as the number one goaltender for the Canadians after doing so last year and then yeah. showing up to camp and not being at his best it's safe to say that his last couple of performances have put him back on top. Raphael Doucette is a young man who I appreciate very much from La Poche Bleue. I like Raphael. Yeah, he reported earlier today that he says he has it on good information that the three-goalie system here is coming to an end and um, it's probably most likely going to be finalized by a trade and not going on waivers. Are you hearing anything? If so, what are you hearing, and what do you think of what the Raph? Well, I I think if you're looking at the one way this thing ends, it will be through a trade, but I will say that uh, that's carrying three goalies on the roster. As far as the rotation ending, it should end uh, by starting Samuel Montembeau in more of these games. You know, if the Canadians really want to put together a string of wins here, and they want to give themselves the best opportunity to do so, Sam has earned that. Yeah. You know, it would be... So he starts yeah. Thursday versus L.A. What's that? He starts Thursday versus L.A. after playing last game last night on Monday. There's plenty of time off. Well, it would be the first time in, I guess, what is it, 17 games? Yeah. 18 games that the same starter would start twice in a row? Yeah. He, and he hasn't done it once this year. He's won three games in a row. He's won four or five. And um, look, the way those decisions have been made, you know, whether the Canadians want to admit it or not, you know, management has certainly been implicated in some of them. Yeah. Not all of them. They're not making the call. You know, the coaching staff makes most of the calls and Eric Raymond is obviously heavy and heavily involved and they yeah. had a responsibility if they're going to solve something that they don't want to have for the entire season. Yeah. They have to keep all three goaltenders somewhat fresh here, but you know, now that you are where you are and now that Sam has signed this contract, and now that Sam has shown that he is deserving of at least two consecutive starts, let alone yeah. three, you got to give it to him. LA and, would be a nice challenge for him too, because obviously they're a very, very good team this year. Yeah. And um, Alex, they're my pick to win the Stanley Cup. 
Is that right, eh? Wow. I picked him at the beginning of the year. I was going out a bit on a limb. I picked Colorado. Yeah. I, I just looked. I, I said, you know, Kopitar. Kopitar. Yeah. And Dowdy. The, the big question for them was goaltending, and that's held up pretty well. Although, you know, we're talking about this whole goaltending thing. How quickly it gets solved. Take a look around the league at who might actually need a goaltender to shore up the position. Like who who would you point to? You know, I'm looking at New Jersey as one team. I'm looking at Carolina as another. I'm looking at Los Angeles as one who would benefit potentially having a veteran come in there, a guy like Jake Allen. Mm-hmm. Money's tied up. It's tight. It's early in the season. Yeah. It doesn't generate even if you're talking about a good goalie moving throughout the league. Minnesota is another team, by the way, clearly in need. Of, they've turned around with a few wins here. Under unless unless but, you pay a portion of the salary. Yeah. It's harder than people assume. And I just, you know, I think – I don't know if it's solved so quickly on the trade front. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that Caden Primo is going to get waived at any point. Really okay. Good so, stuff. Board of Governors meeting in Seattle. Let's get through four or five topics very, very quickly here. Uh, and you know what? I have a couple of them, and and I'm sure that you'll have others so you can bring them up. Number one, the draft, it's done, uh, signed, official. It'll take place at the Sphere in Vegas, the NHL draft, 2024. It's, it's being finalized, but it's gonna it's going to happen, and it's going to cost a lot of money to do it. But I think there will be some return on investment in terms of the buzz it generates, the branding, um, the excitement of being first in like they were in the market to begin with. And, um, you know, if it's the last time that teams attend outside of the players and families and us, uh, well, might as well be a a blowout party. And it's going to be at that place. The league uh, wants a four-team tournament, Canada, USA, Finland, and Sweden next year, correct? That is what we're looking at, yeah, and that's that's all but sure to happen. They're not ready to make an official announcement because I think they have to secure the locations in which it's going to happen. It's going to happen in multiple places. I asked Jeff Molson if Montreal was one of them, and he certainly suggested that it's possible. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. But, yeah, 2025, February, is perhaps the first and maybe even the last opportunity we'll get to see Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, and Connor Bedard in the same uniform. And that's probably why it's happening? I don't know if that's why it's happening. Maybe. but Maybe. I'll tell you, I can't think of anything more exciting as a reason for why it's happening. It's it's going to be pretty uh, amazing. And I think uh, Gary Bedman was saying something like they want to get back on track where uh, it's going to be World Cup Olympics, World Cup Olympics every two years, correct? Yeah. Okay. That's the plan. All right. This won't uh, be a World Cup because obviously – can't have Russia participating with what's going on over there right now. I hear you. Uh, he was asked about Corey Perry and whether or not the league will have to give permission should another team want to sign him. Mm-hmm. And he says that hasn't been that hasn't been tackled yet, or hasn't been it? considered. As far as whether or not he'd have to give permission, hasn't been considered. He's satisfied with the investigation that happened internally in Chicago. Didn't feel that the NHL needed to follow up with that. Um, I think he's going to cross that bridge if and when we get to it and Corey Perry potentially garners interest from another team and signs a contract, I will say from my own personal opinion, I'm not entirely confident that he'll have another opportunity to, to play in this league. 
we'll see. Yeah, I think it's over. But uh, listen, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Speaking of investigations, the World Junior Team. I mean, we know that this has been ongoing now for quite some time. We thought that there was going to be some kind of news coming out already. Mm. What's going on there? Look, I don't like to go on what I think is going on. As far as I know, no criminal charges have been laid on any of the players that were potentially involved in this incident. So long as that's the case from an NHL perspective, it becomes hard for them to enforce any kind of punishment. Um, they're running their own investigation parallel to the London police running an investigation. I don't know if that investigation is as close to getting done as the NHL has suggested, because if we go back six, eight months when it's come up at different times last year, yeah, they said they were getting close to wrapping up the investigation. And, you know, Gary said there's been several, Gary Bevan said there's been several challenges to getting it concluded. Um, I think, you know, him being a lawyer, when a bunch of other lawyers get involved, yeah, that's where quote unquote challenges start to happen. So I just don't know where that's all going to go. The cynic in me feels like we're never going to, we're never yeah. going to get to the bottom of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I just, I just hope, we hope do. that's not the case. I mean, that's, that's starting, it's starting to almost feel that way. Which, which is pretty sickening when you think about it. Just where's uh, it going to go from a criminal investigation standpoint, right? Like yeah. everyone is focused on the NHL. Um, I'd like to know what's happening with the London police investigation, where that's where that's going to go, and what the report from Hockey Canada, which seems to have been suppressed several times over, indicates. You know, I, I think everybody wants to know what the yeah. deal is. My confidence level that we're going to anytime soon is lower than I'd like it to be, and I hope to be yeah. The uh, The salary cap, talk to me about that, uh, the number that's been identified, and any other issues that are at the forefront here at the Board of Governors meetings. Yeah, listen, with the NHL trending towards $6.2 billion of business this year, I'd like to see that number go up higher than the 5% that was already agreed on in the CBA should the debt from the players to the owners that was incurred during the pandemic be paid off, which it has uh-huh. been. Yeah. And we have a guarantee that it, it's going to rise by $4.2 million to 87.675, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they can negotiate with the NHLPA to make it higher than that. Uh, but as things go in a negotiation, the expectation would be some sort of concession. And I don't think the NHLPA, after years of playing escrow to pay back that debt, yeah. Finally seeing an increase um, is looking to give anything else up to make something more happen. The real interest for any hockey fan here, and I don't, look, I, I think there's excitement over that, but I would say relief is a more accurate word that it's uh-huh. probably going up by this amount. Because when you look at how jammed up the system has been this year with some rosters icing 20 players at times, yeah. uh, uh, can't continue this way, especially with the revenues growing as much as they are. I read about net guards. Gary Bettman says that uh, some t- you can't make um, equipment mandatory, but at the same time, uh, based on what he's hearing, based on what he's seeing, it, I think it's, he thinks it's possible that uh, you could see a net guard on every NHL player in the very, very near future. I was shocked to hear him say that it's something he could envision um, because, you know, for as much as people want to see the NHL, quote-unquote, mandate this, they can't do anything without the NHLPA being the driving force of it. 
you know, if the players will not agree to doing something like this and understanding the value of protecting, you know, then the NHL doesn't have a stand a chance of enforcing it. And I, I, I just tell you, like, Adam Johnson yeah. and Luke Malarchuk are two incidents that we've seen in such a long period of time, and it leads anyone with some sort of sense of false bravado to believe that, you know, this will never happen to me. Yeah. Uh, it happened to a 16-year-old, though, a couple of yeah. weeks ago. And luckily yeah, for him, he was wearing a neck guard, but he still got cut open yeah. pretty good, and it saved his life. So, listen, it's easy for me to say because I've never played, and I'm not a former player. I'll, but I'll say this, Tony. I can't you know, understand players not just wanting to wear it. I'll say this, Tony. Like, I care what happens in the NHL, but much less so than I care about what happens at every other level of hockey where there are many more players involved and much higher – risk incidents here and uh i think if you're a hockey player out there that is not a professional and not paid money to play the game protect yourself properly yeah don't, don't even be wearing a half visor or no visor in games i understand it's cool i understand it's more comfortable but what the hell are you even risking here and for what like just put a neck guard on put yeah. a helmet with a cage on and just play hockey the way you always have in your life. It didn't affect you when you were a kid, and it won't affect you now. It might save your life. In ending, uh, before we say goodnight, uh, anything else that you want to bring up, Board of Governors meeting, that is on the table right now? It's a hot subject. <sighs> anything else I want to bring up in the Board of Governors meeting? Um, I think we exhausted the most important things. I mean... How's Jeff doing? How's the Jeff the, 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 the Arizona yeah. situation... Whatever optimism the Coyotes and their people have over breaking ground on a new arena near Phoenix and the yeah. that could potentially close a deal between now and January, mm-hmm. I don't share that optimism, and I'm not going not to until I actually see it happen. And you know what? The financial windfall for the league, and I hate to see a team ripped out of its or like out of away from a fan base. We saw it with the Expos in Montreal, and yeah. it's, it sucked then, and it still sucks now. Yeah, but. There's a lot of there's a lot of money to be had relocating the Coyotes and a lot of money to be had in growing a franchise in some of the markets that don't have one. And I'll tell you, considering that the expansion fee went from five hundred million in Vegas to six fifty in Seattle, and the next one could be a billion dollars plus. Yeah. Don't be surprised, even though it wasn't a front burner issue here, expansion. Uh-huh. Everybody in that room benefits they are the ones who get the money when that expansion fee is paid the owners and i will tell you that they are hungry for another two teams to join this league and don't be surprised if one of them does it via expansion and the other one does it via relocation i feel very adamantly about this with a personal bias okay if the coyotes get relocated i'd rather see the nhl take that big money from houston or Salt Lake City or Atlanta from an expansion yeah. perspective. Yeah. For those guys to go right into the Videotron Center in Quebec, where the Arizona Coyotes are becoming a team that's worth watching right now and could go to Quebec and potentially thrive a lot more than people think as a team starting off the hop that's not starting at scratch. I think as a Quebecois, as a 
you know, a Montreal Canadiens reporter, the opportunity to cover oh, Montreal hockey would be phenomenal. And be I amazing. think there's, there's a there's a great opportunity for the league if they were considering relocation to continue to expand in those places where they can pick up a billion dollars to see expansion happen. Yeah, and relocate the Coyotes if they can't get this arena deal done because Lord knows we're not going to see them at Mullet Arena moving forward. Uh, it doesn't make sense. The city of Quebec deserves it. Hockey fans in Quebec deserve it. Uh, the province deserves it. PKP, Pierre Carpellado deserves it. And uh, there's an arena already there, like you said, for a it long just time. Said, now. They have to have the financial backing, it's and I think they get a better opportunity yeah. to have that if the team comes in the state that the Coyotes are currently in because they're yeah. on the rise. Thank you very much. Give my regards to Mr. Molson when you see him. I, yeah, he, he's headed back your way, and so am I tomorrow. And you know what? It's been oh, a good. long stretch on the road, Tony, so I'm looking yeah. forward to getting back. All the best to you. Thanks so much, Eric. See ya. All right. I want to bring in a gentleman that was brought to my attention, actually courtesy of one of our sponsors. Sean Gerard of Energy Transportation Group said to me, he says, Tony, you have to see this guy, Gooby, and what he can do. And I said, Gooby? You know what? I think I saw some of his stuff already on Instagram. I came across a Gooby account on Instagram. He says, yeah. He says, I'm here at the uh, Wayne Gretzky. Um, I think it's a it's a camp or something like that. And, and Gooby's going to inform me. But he says his product, Gooby's here. His skates are here. His products are here. His work is here. Yet you have to, you have to pick up a skate. And so without further ado, I want to show you this, folks, what he can do. Let's bring him in. The guy they know, they call the, the Goobator. That's Gooby, right. Hey, Tony. On? How are you? How's it going? I'm doing very, very well. How are very you? Good. So I call you. I'm very well. Thank you. I call you the Gubernator, um, much like the uh, the Shermanator and the Terminator, but it's actually not the Gubernator. So introduce yourself to everyone watching. So it's Peter Gubernator. Yes, that's, yeah. that's the real name. Uh, but most people call me Gooby. Yeah. They uh, shortened that name and uh, it's stuck. I mean, I, I like it. Uh, everybody calls me that. But in calling or people who don't know me who call me Gooby, they started calling me the Gubernator, which is my actual last name. So it's really funny the way it happened. Gooby, you customize skates. Basically, yeah. you can end up doing incredible, magical, artistic work on skates. And I have a couple here that we're going to bring up in just a second. How did all this come about? Obviously, you're extremely talented. You're an artist. It goes without saying. But Thank when you. did you start dabbling with um, customizing skates? Uh, this, I mean, I started coloring on my clothes, on my shoes when I was like 10 years old, like a young kid, uh, always getting in trouble for it too. Uh, and then when I started playing hockey, all I really wanted to do was uh, individualize my own skates because we all had the same skates. And they just started coloring just with, you know, Crayola water washable markers, which uh, I had to do every single game. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when it kind of started through COVID, it uh, it just, I just started getting better and better and using new products and uh, really just starting to advertise on Instagram. And I, I just got really lucky that people noticed it and the power of social media kind of worked for me. Uh, and now, now I'm talking to you. Yeah, so, no, I mean, it's pretty cool. I, I'm pretty happy to be talking to you. But so, who was the first person player that ordered a pair of customized or or wanted their skates? Pardon me, wanted their skates customized by you with your artwork? Yeah. So the the first one. So throughout COVID, uh, a San Jose Sharks player called Curtis Gabriel called me, 
Uh, you saw my Instagram. He said, listen, I'm, I'm an ally to the LGBTQ movement. Uh, at the time, there was the Black Matters, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement going on. And he wanted to represent both movements together on, on each skate. So he sent me two pairs right away. I did it. Uh, it was it was like an amazing uh, art piece, but it was it was more fun because they were playing in the bubble. And the first game he played, he got into a fight with Ryan Reeves, and uh, the NHL took wicked pictures with like the skates were pretty much in focus, which was really cool. Uh, so Curtis and I became good friends. He was really involved in the design of it. And yeah you know, what he really wanted. And then uh, our bon good she knew uh, yeah. Anthony Duclair. He called me and he said, listen, uh, my dad's been talking about you. I wanted to, to see what you can do. And at this point, I think we're close to seven or eight pairs uh, wow. that were just amazing for him. Uh, he was doing really well. And then I did some skates for Jonathan Drouin. Uh, when he was with the Habs, and uh, I mean, it's it's just been growing now. Now, yes, uh, so yeah, I was at the Gretzky camp. Uh, it's it's a hockey school like for kids. Yeah, and uh, Wayne Gretzky's son, uh, he operates the whole thing. And he, I made, I sent him a message throughout uh, Instagram because after the uh, All Star game last year, I yeah. did Mitch Marner skates. Yeah, and there was a whole backstory to it that related to Wayne Gretzky that I I kind of made up myself, and uh, I told him about it, and he said I, I need you to make some skates in tribute to my dad's career with the Oilers. Amazing, you you know who your dad is, <laughs> and and he's like he, you know it's it's going to be amazing ninety nine everywhere, and the skates turned out so well, and yes, when I met Sean, uh, I mean I was looking at kids' reactions, I was looking at adults' reactions. Yeah, and I thought, I think that most people thought that oh, it's a Gretzky, he has something special. But this was actually a product that I think I'm doing something that's like really affordable for anybody, and kids are getting them. Uh, Tony Marinero's getting them. Yeah, so uh, I mean, yeah. So uh, even though each skate is different, each artwork is different. Obviously, some a little bit more complex. Than others, some require more work. Traditionally, how much work is involved for you? How many hours of work are we looking at here? So each pair of skates will run me probably uh, four to eight hours. So depending on what I'm doing, how I'm painting, how I'm sealing it. Um, you know, I have my partners at Blade Tech. They just, they gave you some beautiful blades there. And um, they they also need some time to 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 get me the blades, to engrave the blades, uh, do full customization of colors. Uh, then I have, I have, so the holder that you're holding there, the plastic red piece, uh, that's not painted. So I do a process of dyeing plastics uh, so it doesn't add any weight and it's permanent and it can't chip. Uh, you know, the everything is done by hand. Um, and, and yeah, I measure stuff out. I put all your sponsors so the energy transportation group, as Sean uh, wanted to gift these to you, and B, may we know no Canadian Montreal. So ah, uh, you gotta love Sean Gerard. I love them already. I love them even more now. 
This is absolute fantastic work that you do. And once again, why don't you just let everyone know, all the hockey fans that are watching, how they can contact you, where they can see some of your work besides these skates. You've done so many others. Where they can see all your work on Instagram. On Instagram, it's at Gooby Customs. So Gooby underscore Customs. Uh, G-U-B-Y. It generally pops up right away. Uh, but yes, so as as you can see there, Tony, he's holding his skates and they glow in the dark. Uh, that was, you know what? Uh, when we spoke and I actually showed them to you the first time, the reaction you had when they when we put them like in the dark, that was precious. That was, that was unbelievable. It really was unbelievable. Uh, Gooby, once again, uh, I'll tell you something I already told you before. You, my friend, are incredibly talented. You are an artist. You've been Thank wanting you. to do this for a very, very long time. It took a while, and uh, you, you didn't stop believing. And then you got a couple of pairs ordered by NHL players, and now you're off to the races. And I couldn't be happier for you, my friend. Uh, Thank you. The sky's the limit. Thanks so much for once again uh, joining me tonight on the Sick Podcast so we could take a look at, once again, the beautiful, beautiful work that you do. Thank you very much. Thank thank you for having me. Uh, I hope that the treats I got you from Chef Veganessa were delicious. Yes. And and I want to go skating with you this summer, uh, this winter. Yeah, well, there's a better chance we're going to do it in the winter and the summer. I promise yes. you that we will. I'm going to have these sharpened and away we'll go. Thank you, Gooby. Thank you. Take care. Marinero, thank you so much once again. Thank you to Sean Gerard over at Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Also, brewed in Quebec, we're talking about Libidity B, a winner of a dozen international awards. They offer quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. Libidity B, embrace your true nature. And don't miss Playgrounds Anniversary Series from December 7th to the 18th with over $1 million in guaranteed prize pools, including a $400,000 dollar guaranteed main event join us in celebrating 13 years as the premier poker destination visit playground.ca for details and the grand opening gala december 16 the sick podcast with tony marinero i will be hosting a live podcast live from playground agnello cavallaro will be there sammy cavallaro will be there juliana cavallaro will be there and i'm even gonna try and get joey there that's right my one of my best friends in the whole wide world joey dicaprio Thank you very much to everyone watching. We look forward to seeing you at Playground, where it's going to be a meet and greet. We want you to see how beautiful Playground is. It's always a great time. We'll have a great time together. We'll have a beverage together. We'll eat an hors d'oeuvre. We'll do everything together. And we'll talk hockey. We'll talk about our favorite subject in the whole wide world. And that's right. It is the Montreal Canadiens. For Yellow, Sammy and Juliana and Master Control, their Cavallaro will be back tomorrow night. Same time, same place. We are the Sick Podcast, and I'm... I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.